Thank you for tuning in today. My name is Frankie Mazapika. The title of my message this morning is The Treasure is Hidden. The Treasure is Hidden. Let me tell you where I'm getting this message from. It's in uh, the book of Matthew, chapter 13, verses 44 through 46. Jesus is talking to the multitude, and he says this. He goes... He says, the the kingdom of heaven, he's trying to describe what the kingdom of heaven is like. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovers in a field. In his excitement, he hides it. Then he sells everything he owns so that he can buy the field. And then Jesus tacks on another parable that's very similar to that one with a few minor changes. He says this, The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for pearls. When he discovers the pearl of great price, he sells everything that he owns so that he can buy it. In both parables, what we're saying is, is that the kingdom of heaven is a treasure that needs to be found or discovered. I I was a preacher's kid growing up, and so I could anticipate everything that was about to happen. We're going to sing a fast song. We're going to sing a slow song. Now we're going to do announcements. And and now we're going to take up the offering. And then the preacher's going to preach way too long. None of you guys think that here at Celebration, right? That Those thoughts never crossed your mind. But how many of you have been to church at least hundreds of times? Raise your hand. Hundreds of times you've been to church. How many, without even counting, you already know by the number of years you've been in church, you've been to church thousands of times. Go ahead, raise your hand, thousands of times. That was me. I'd been to church thousands of times uh, before I was born. My mom came in pregnant, and we would have revival nights. We would schedule revival in those days. Revival is a night that God moves, and we would schedule that. God's going to move on April the 14th. We would schedule it. And so those nights would go Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And if you miss a revival night, you don't love God. And so you had to come, and those nights would go to like 2 o'clock in the morning. And if you left early, shame on you, because you might be missing something from God. That's how I grew up. But over the years, I found that my heart started getting calloused. Because when you know what's coming, and you know what church is like, the excitement begins to drift. And so, for me, I'm just telling you my story. At 18 years old, I came walking in church, and of course I'm sitting in the back. And something happened. I I don't know what happened. I have no idea what happened. All of a sudden, Jesus was no longer someone I believed in. Even Satan believes in Jesus. 
So just merely believing in Jesus really is not anything of great uh, consequence. It's not anything to be super proud of. A historian can believe in Jesus. There's a man named Josephus who was a scholar in those days. And he wrote about Jesus and he did not believe that he was the son of God, but he wrote. So believing in Jesus is not something of eternal significance. Obviously it starts there, but it's the relationship that's valuable. And at 18 years old, all of a sudden the relationship became so real that everything else in my life all of a sudden began to pale in comparison. I went on a job interview because my dad kicked me out and said, literally, do not come home unless you have a job. Do not come home. Because I'm always, dad, can I have some money? Dad, can I Do not come home. I went into this place. They, they sold, um, let me think, they, they sold like um, uh, paper towels to office buildings. Huge office buildings downtown. I didn't know anything about it. I, I walked in, I sat down, and as I was sitting down, I was, I realized I'm talking to the owner of this company. I was like, wow, usually I'm talking to a manager. I'm actually talking to the owner. This is great. The owner and I, we hit it off. And he goes, son, I like you. I like you. I could tell he liked me. And I was like, this is a good moment. He goes, I'm going to offer you $50,000 a year. $50,000 a year was more than my father was making. I was making, at that time, $0 a year. And every once in a while, I'd get a job and quickly get fired. And so I think my W-2 at the end of the year was like $2,000 for the whole year. He goes, $50,000. And I, for some reason, I'll never know, I sat back in my chair and I went, are you kidding me? And I started laughing. And he smiled. It wasn't like, uh, it wasn't, I wasn't being a smart mouth or anything, but I just like, if I work for you, I have to drop out of college. I'm like, for $50,000, that's not worth it. And in my head, I have this little voice saying, have you lost your mind, Frankie? Are you an idiot? Your dad's going to throw you on the street. You're making up this college stuff. I was taking one class. I was taking one class, <laughs> one class. One, three hours, I got to drop out of college to come see you. One class. And then he goes, all right, well, what's it going to take? I was like, a hundred. He goes, a hundred thousand dollars. You have no experience. You're 18 years old. I said, college. (laughs) And I got, we go around and around the block. He gives me $100,000 plus $50,000 of already existing accounts. I was so excited. I was so excited. 48 hours later, a ministry up in Rockford, Illinois offered me a ministerial internship. And I would go to Bible college at the same time. But the internship paid $41 a week. 41 41, are you with me here? I said no to the job, moved to Rockford, Illinois, and continued being poor for the next five years of my life. Who makes a stupid decision like that? 
Someone who has discovered that Jesus is not just sitting on the right hand of the Father. That His presence is around me. And it messed, I was messed up. There was nothing in the world from that moment forward that could ever satisfy me. And luckily I was 18 years old so I could make a decision like that. When when you have a family, I could never make a decision like that today. But the point is, is that there is a shift in relationship where all of a sudden he becomes so real. That you're willing to do whatever you need to do just to get closer to his presence. There's three points that I want to bring out to you. Number one is that that treasure in the field was hidden. Number two, it cost something. And number three, it multiplies. The treasure in the field represents a a relationship with Jesus that is so real. But to discover it, it's a miracle. It is a legit miracle because it's hidden. It is hidden. If you have a relationship with Jesus this morning, you are a miracle. If you have a loved one that you want to have a relationship with Jesus, you are asking the Lord for a miracle. That something in the supernatural would become alive to them. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 18 it says this, The message of the cross is foolishness to those who do not believe. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. It's the power of God. Have you ever talked to somebody about Jesus and they're looking at you and they're like, You're a quack. It's not that they're stupid. It's that the light has not come on. The miracle has not happened yet. To them it's stupid. To you it's the power of God. In Matthew chapter 12 verse 13 it says this. To those who are listening to me. More understanding will be given. And you will have an abundance of knowledge. But to those who are not listening. What little understanding you do have will be taken away. It's a supernatural enlightenment. And the more you ignore it, the more you don't listen, what little understanding you do have will be taken away. Many of us know people like that. That's pretty good, right? Put your hands together. Give me some encouragement. It's. It's been taken away. They used to believe in Jesus a little bit. Now they don't believe in him at all. Some people used to believe believe in Jesus a little bit. And now they believe in him a lot. But Jesus is not a cognitive thought. He's a person. That when he gets into your life, everything changes. There's a a story I heard about a young preacher and an older preacher. They were in the same service. And the young preacher came up to recite the 23rd Psalm. He was a good looking guy, had a suit, his hair was all spiked up. He, he, He waxed eloquent and he came up and he goes, the 23rd Psalm. And he was so poetic and had such a demanding voice. He sounded something like, 
The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me down paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And he went on and on and on. And everybody clapped. He went and sat down and a little while later an older preacher came up. He wasn't nearly as cool. He had an old suit, an old tie, most importantly, an old Bible. It had been worn out. He came up. He set the Bible down. He put his glasses on. He opened up to the 23rd Psalm. In a crackling, shaking voice, he said, let me read the 23rd Psalm. And he put his finger down and he said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And everybody in the congregation started crying. After the service, the young man came up to him and said, what happened? I quoted it. You read it. And the man looked at the young man and he said, you know the psalm. I know the shepherd. See, it's an entirely different thing when all of a sudden your relationship shifts and you begin to feel like hair standing up on your arm and goosebumps running down your face. Where he becomes so precious to you, you can feel your eyes swelling up with tears. That only the presence of God can do that. That's only, that's a shift in your relationship. And the more you feel that, the more you experience that, the more you applaud it and love it and enjoy it, the more you experience of it. But make no mistake, it's special. Not everybody feels him that way. Not everyone is drawn to him that way. Why? Because it's hidden. The treasures of Jesus is hidden. But the treasure also has a great price. Notice in both stories, the man who was walking in the field who discovered the treasure sold everything he had so that he could get the treasure. The merchant who was looking for rare pearls, when he discovered the pearl of great price, he sold everything that he had so that he could have the pearl of great price. Both individuals sold everything they had in order to receive what was of great price. See, the greatest challenge that Christians have today, the greatest challenge that unsaved people have before they get saved, the greatest challenge is the willingness to sacrifice your personal desires to live for the desires of Jesus Christ. It's the greatest challenge. Nobody wants to do it and they skip over certain verses so that they can convince themselves that sacrifice is not necessary. But it's throughout the scripture from the table of contents to the maps. You cannot live for your own selfish desires and live for him at the same time. It just cannot happen. 
If Jesus sacrificed everything, don't think for a moment that you do not have to sacrifice anything. Don't think about that. People will tell you, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, you're under grace. People judge, God doesn't judge. These people don't read the Bible. They don't read the Bible and they're fighting for ways to live their life frivolously and free and selfishly and convince themselves that God is okay with it. God will never be okay with something that his son had to die for. Never. Never. Just to put some scripture in there because it's the only thing of value that I will say this morning. Romans chapter 13 verse 14. Paul said this. He says, put on. Put just... Put on the presence of Jesus Christ and do not think about ways to indulge in your own sinful desires. Don't even think about it. When your brain goes that way, do not think about it. And then Peter said something along the same lines. First Peter chapter 1 verse 14. He says, we must live as God's obedient children. Do not slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. For you didn't know any better then. And then Paul said to Timothy, this young man being raised in the faith, he wasn't his biological father. He was his spiritual father. Many of you have spiritual children. And if you don't, you will soon. It's God's plan. But he wrote to Timothy and he said this in, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. He says this, the time is coming. And I believe the time is now. The time is coming where people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. Instead, they will follow their own desires. And they will look for teachers who will tell them what their itching ears want to hear. Our own selfish desires. Here's the reality. There are times on this earth where you have to say, No, I, my flesh wants it, but the Lord does not like it. Don't convince yourself that because your flesh wants it, God is okay with it. Don't convince yourself of that. You say, well, how do I get over pornography? This is the right service to come to. How do I get over fits of rage and anger that just burst inside of me? How do I stop fighting fear? And how do I, how, how, how do I get away from this stuff? I want to make the sacrifice, but I just do not have the strength to do it. If that's you in this room, the most important scripture you can hear this morning is Galatians chapter 5 verse 16 where it says those who walk after the spirit will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. When you are 
aiming for Him. When He is what you're thinking about. He is what you read about. He is who you serve. It's all about Him. It's all about Him. It's all about Him. It's all about Him. It's a Him, 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 Him. You will naturally be walking away from the things of the flesh. You'll look at pornography and know that you have an opportunity for it. And you'll say, it's not worth sacrificing my intimacy. I feel too close to him right now. It's not worth it. As soon as you get ready to talk bad about someone, as soon as you get ready to curse and yell at someone, you will think to yourself, it's not worth it. When I played basketball in high school, I distinctly remember something bad happening. I think I turned the ball over and, and it was during practice. And, and I picked up the ball and I was about to throw it and cuss. And, and just before those words flew off my lips, I felt the Spirit of the Lord. It was one of the first times He's ever spoke to me. He said this, He goes, Frankie, He goes, do not become like your friends. Otherwise, I will have to send someone else to reach him. In Western Christianity, we want to be used by God, but we do not want to make a sacrifice. We can never change the world if we are like the world. And if we are not willing to make a sacrifice, we remain unusable. Un usable when we decide God I'm not going to say it because I love you more we're usable when I was growing up people would say God will take his anointing off your life I don't know about that because I can't see the anointing come off someone's life but what I can see is when somebody loses influence in a moment They no longer have people listening to them. Have you ever had a mean person tell you to be nice? And you think to yourself, huh? How about you try to be? They do not have influence in your life. They don't have influence in your your life because they're telling you to do something that they themselves don't do. And so you can no longer lead someone to Christ when they can clearly see you are not following Christ. It's a sacrifice. I don't have time for this, but I'm going to make time. In Iran, I have a friend of mine, he's a missionary to Iran, and he tells me that the Muslim congregation, when, uh, when, he, when they get saved and they get baptized, they come out of the water and they say, I'm ready to die for you, Jesus. Do you know why they say that? Because they know in Iran, if you are a Christian, they will kill you. So they have made the decision, I am sacrificing my life. In Western Christianity, we won't even get out of our pajamas on a Sunday. Do you know that the average Christian pre-COVID came two times every eight weeks? Pre-COVID, two times every eight weeks. Where are we at today? I'd be fine if people don't come to church because of COVID.
COVID worries if they also didn't go to the mall. I'd be fine if they also didn't go to the supermarket. I'd be fine if they also kept a tally in their mind of how many people were in a six-foot radius at work. If they also did those things, then I would say, I understand. But the reality is, is we have a double standard. I will not sacrifice anything to go to church. Nothing. I want to sit in my PJs. I want to go play golf. I want to go play. I want to go fishing. I want to go to the mall. Sunday is the Sabbath. I will sacrifice nothing. And these same people ask the Lord, God, what do you want me to do for you? Are you kidding me? You're not even doing the things that you know he wants you to do. And now you want to know what else he wants you to do. Come on. Let's be honest with ourselves. We are living in a western world where we want God to use us and bless us. But we will not sacrifice anything. Nothing. Nothing. The treasure multiplies. The Bible says this in Daniel chapter 12. I think it's 1242. I can't remember the address. Where is it? 12.3, sorry. Daniel chapter 12, verse 3. It says, in heaven, the wise will shine like the sky. And those who lead others to righteousness will shine like a star in heaven. For people who invite people to church and encourage them to follow Jesus, when the Jesus sees you, he will say, thank you for not getting distracted. For eternity, you are going to shine like a star. There will be Christians in heaven that do not shine like a star. Because their walk with God was all about them. But for people who say, dear God, who do you want me to bring? Who do you want? Who? Those people will shine like a star in heaven. Is there anyone here to say, if it's going to be forever, I may as well look good. Come on, put your hands together for that. I may as well look good. Recently, um, a miracle happened. Miracles happen here all the time. I want to share a testimony with you. Take a look at this. Well, uh, I've been coming to the church for about 10 months now, and I've just been in awe of how God has been using Pastor Frankie and the power of God moving here. And just about a month ago, he had uh, preached a sermon, and afterwards he gave a word of knowledge for uh, anyone with a pain in the left neck. And that was me. Uh, I actually had this pain for about three or four months. I had gone to the chiropractor. My doctor had referred me there because he couldn't find what was wrong with me. So I went to the chiropractor and they showed me a scan of my back. And the right side of my back had what was these red spots. So on the scanner, if it's red, that means it's muscle inflammation. 
So that was causing a lot of the pain. So I went through the chiropractor treatment, but I still had the pain in my neck. And then it kind of lodged there, to be honest. After the third month is when I was really praying, and I know God was moving here. Uh, he had led me here, and I've been so excited to be here. So when Pastor gave that word of knowledge for anybody with the pain in the uh, left neck to come down, that was me. I came down to the altar, and he placed his hand right there on the left side of my, le of my neck. And I felt this kind of warm sensation, like the sun was just beaming right there. And he told me to grab his other hand, and when the pain stopped, squeeze his hand. So about 20 seconds, 20 seconds, the pain had stopped, and I squeezed his hand. He said, is it all gone? I said, it's all gone. And I was able to move my neck. I, when I used to do move my neck this way, I would feel a sharp pain. But I was able to move my neck with no pain. I slept like a baby that night. And I called my, uh, my relatives in Chicago. I told them, you know, what happened because we overcome by the blood, you know, the lamb and the word of our testimony. So I've been so excited. I'm so blessed to be here. And uh, God is good. God is amazing. You know, it's it's so fascinating to me because while she was giving her testimony, I'm sitting on the front row and I'm just smiling. And, uh, and you know, you could just tell something in her eyes and something in her countenance that she's been walking with the Lord for a long time. Can you see that? She, she found a treasure. Her relationship with God is not external. It's internal. And it shines through her face and through her eyes. Let's all stand to our feet for me, please. I'd like all of our prayer partners to come down if they would. this room in a minute some people are going to come down and they're going to take the hand of a prayer partner and they're going to pray with them but if you're in this room and you are not sure where you would be if your heart were to stop beating in the next five minutes if I can get an usher down on this aisle and on this aisle please all the ushers every Sunday I, I need an usher at the bottom of each aisle Thank you. Thank you. If your heart were to not were to stop beating and you are not sure where you would spend eternity. You're the most important person in the room. What I want to do is I want to invite you in a minute to come down here and take the hand of a prayer partner. And all you have to do is just say, I need to get my life right with God. And they'll take care of the rest. They'll lead you in a prayer. The Bible says if you're ashamed of him in front of man, he'll be ashamed of you in front of the Father. So in a moment, I don't want you to look around and wonder who else is going down. I just want you to come down. Get your heart right with the Lord. Every single one of us, the common denominator is we need a miracle. 
is why our friends that don't go to church is why I have such a big heart for them because they need a miracle too. Everyone on the planet right now needs a miracle. At least we know where to come. At least we see it on a regular basis. Where do they go? They learn to live with it. They learn to live in a bad marriage for the sake of the kids. They learn to just continually go and they need a miracle. That's why it's so important that we invite them. But if you're in this room and you're like, I'll invite a friend later on, but right now I need a miracle. Then I want you to come down. If you need a healing in your body, most healings take place with our prayer partners. Not having, I'm not a part of it at all. I want you to come down. I have to ask something though, and I, I, this is this is just me wondering if I heard from God this morning. I'm just gonna um, just ask. Maybe this person is in this service. Maybe this person is in the second service. Um, and if you're not in either service, then I'll find out real quickly that I did not hear from God. I, I it was my imagination. But is there someone here named Teresa that is having a thyroid challenge? Are you in the room? Because if you're in the room, I believe I'm supposed to pray for you and I believe you're going to receive a miracle. If I'm saying, if I'm not pronouncing Teresa, but your heart is beating, if I'm not pronouncing it properly, pray for you. It's probably you. No? Well, that probably means either A, they're in the second service, or B, I just missed it. Why don't you come down and take the hand of a prayer partner, because there's angels in this room. You can come out of your seat right now, and if you want to remain in your seat, just raise your hands like this. The service is Officially, it's going to be over in a few moments. But just raise your hands and let me pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, may the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May his face shine down on you and be gracious to you. May his face be lifted up on you and bring you peace. In Jesus' name. 